This is episode number 192 of the Rising Man podcast with Jose Alejandro. When was the last time you followed your gut? What up, Rising Man family? Jetty Azuma checking in behind the mic for another episode of the Rising Man podcast. Before I introduce my guest for today, make sure you head over to risingman.org slash ignite. Check out our latest online 12-week program to help you launch forward in your life as a man. If you've been sitting on the sidelines, if you're not yet clear on your vision, if you're struggling with gathering confidence and clarity for how to move forward in your life, then Ignite is the place for you. 12 weeks, some of the best of the best experiences, distinctions, and lessons that I've learned in my 10 years of this work, all packed into the Ignite course. So go check it out today, risingman.org slash Ignite. All right, another returning guest for the Rising Man podcast, Jose Alejandro, coming back for the first time after not being here for a couple of years. Jose is an embodied leadership coach and intentional impact coach for men that lead. He's the founder of the Reflex Media and the co-founder of Modern Renaissance Man, a movement empowering the modern men to fully express their truth and own their power. His purpose is to inspire men to embody their truth so they can lead lives of integrity, intention, and impact. In this episode, Jose and I swapped notes on leading the charge in men's work. First, I challenged Jose to revisit his first answer to the question, what does it mean to be a man from our initial podcast episode? Jose spoke about truth and why it's essential to discern yours from everyone else's by tapping into the instinct and feeling of truth. Jose shared a practical approach for identifying truth in John Wyland's three stages, truth of the body, truth of the heart, and truth of the soul. We discussed the power of stillness, how to calibrate your guts and intuition, and noticing when we confuse fear and intuition. We talked about the challenges and triumphs of building a men's organization from the ground up in the greater New York City area. And last but not least, why you don't need to build your own men's organization from the ground up. This and so much more, but without further ado, Jose Alejandro. Rising Man family, I got a returning guest today, episode 66, going back, going back in the archives for that first time you were here, Mr. Jose Alejandro, coming in from San Juan, Puerto Rico, my bro, hermano, how you doing? Good, brother, good. Said those beautifully, man, you were practicing Spanish. <laughs> yeah, well, I got I to gotta try and keep my, keep my wife around, you know, she got the half Mexican side, I got to do my best. <laughs> there you go. There's, there's always a reason. <laughs> Always a reason, man. Dude, you know, you and I have had so many conversations since episode 66 when you were on here. Back at that point in time, life looked a lot different. You were doing different things. You were in the beginning phases of, of what you're up to now. And so folks who might have heard that episode and are hearing the intro and the bio for this one, they're going to be like, whoa, my man's been up to a lot. He's, he's been doing a lot of things in the past couple of years. So not least of which has been creating and building a men's organization out on the East Coast. Yes, yeah, sir. Modern Renaissance, man. It's going, it's cruising. Really? And now you're operating it from all the way in Puerto Rico. So let's do this, man. Cause you know, right before we recorded, we went back into the archives and I was like, what did you say when I asked, what does it mean to be a man? And your response back then was you, that you were honestly, you were still figuring it out. And that was such a beautiful, authentic answer. I have a feeling you got a little more to say about it now. Even if you don't got it figured out, what does it mean to be a man? Well, I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> 
yeah. Aren't we all? I think, yeah, I think that's the point. I think uh, just reflecting back to episode 66 when we recorded that first time, I, I, I remember saying that. And I remember, I, I remember my vision back then, what it was that I was trying to work towards and the man um, I was working towards becoming and was becoming. And man, since then, Rite of Passage, uh, started my own men's organization, so many different things that I've created and been a part of and evolved through. And even still now, when I've reached this like part of the vision that I had, I still feel like there's more to figure out. It's a constant figuring out. But what feels true to me and has become a really big piece of who I am is the word truth. I use that word often. You heard me share it. An embodiment of that truth is what being a man is. And being a man for me is different than I'm sure being a man for you is. But embodying my truth and being true to who I am and who I am beyond this suit, beyond like the identity of the organizations and things that I'm creating, just finding a deeper connection to that truth and then embodying it, sharing it with the world is like best way i can describe it which going back still figuring it out because as i start embodying my truth i learn more about myself that i had no clue wanted to you know be part of my life and my story so mm, sure well let, let's talk a little bit more about truth for a minute because i had a teacher who used to talk about uppercase t truth like capital mm. t truth and lowercase t truth and that this idea meant that there's there's uppercase T truth, capital T truth for the facts of life, the things that are undeniable, unequivocal, the things that we've all agreed upon on a mass scale to be true. For example, one plus one is two. And the color of the sky, well, not everybody agrees the sky is blue, but colors like the grass is green, things like that. And then lowercase T truth is is 99.9% of life. It's it's all subjective. Mm-hmm. Even things that we often treat as facts are are not actually true because they're not unequivocal. We can have mm-hmm. different perspectives and beliefs. And so in the, in the version of truth I hear you talking about, it's like finding what is my lowercase T truth in every aspect of my life, like a constant excavation discovery process. So the thing I, I want you to speak about is how do you know when you've landed on that truth? How do, how do you know when you've landed on the lowercase t truth and not somebody else's truth? Like my mom's truth, my dad's truth, society's truth. How do you know when it's yours? By asking a lot of questions. <laughs> so asking a lot of questions, one, to myself, and then two, having men around me who can ask me the same question as well. And I think that the only way really to know is to become aware of the truths that don't belong to me. So I think in the past almost three years since our last recording, I've been doing a lot of work uh, with my mother and father wounds and just like, and, and, and gifts as well. Cause there's, there's their truth that is part of my truth, which I also have adopted and, and, and mm-hmm. owned as my own, but asking a lot of questions and really doing the work to say, Oh shit, I thought that was my truth. But really, that's just something I've adopted and a belief that I no longer want to have, which is going back to still figuring it out. I think that when I know for myself, when I, when I commit to being a student and allow myself to learn new things throughout the process, I always have a realization in a moment where I'm like, oh, shit, 
the past three years, like this has served me, this has been my truth. And now I realize that it's no longer how I want to show up. This actually belongs to such and such friend those three years when I was in fifth grade. And I thought that, so truth for me, figuring out truth is really more of a gut feeling. Uh, it's an instinct. Like it's, it's, it's just knowing like, this is who I am right now, who I know myself to be. I don't need to ask any questions or dive too deep into why I'm doing it. It just feels right. It's not coming from a place of fear. It's almost coming from a place of alignment. Like what's most aligned right now, which can be different fears. Maybe when I become a father, my truth and how I show up or prioritize certain things in my life might evolve. And I might not need to ask myself. I might in that moment just know like, oh, instinctually, I have a child to take care of. This is my priority. And I don't even know that feeling just yet, but I know that's how I felt throughout the years as I figured out my truth that it just continues to evolve. It's just, I know right here, right now, this is what I'm supposed to do. And later on, I can question that. But once I start questioning it, it's no longer my truth. It's the fucking fear of not doing the right thing. Yeah, man, it's... It makes me think of that phrase that they often say to young folks as they're stepping out into the world, you know, to question everything, which I love. I think we need more critical free thinkers in the world. Like we need to be able to have a sense of uh, asking, getting to the bottom of it, not for the sake of just being rebellious. I think a lot of times question everything gets picked up by the anarchist community and it's like kind of like a rallying cry, like question everything and almost contrarian just for the sake of being opposite. But the spirit of that, to really question things, to get to the bottom of, of where it's sourced. What is in that truth? What's inside that truth? Because we do inherit a lot from our parents, from authority figures at when we're kids that may not serve us in, in the idea of life that we want for ourselves when we become adults. And I think for me, at least, there was like almost like a like a scientific method <laughs> that I had to identify for myself of identifying something about let's just let, let's just be specific for a second let's say it's my ideas about money right my perspectives on how what, what is a responsible way to be with money and with finances what is a what do good financial decisions look like because even the word even that is very subjective and identifying okay what's my mom's belief what's my dad's belief what, what are the people around me that i that i sur- surround myself what are their beliefs and in the full array of what i've seen like the full survey of what that could be which one of those feels best for me? Mm-hmm. Which one of those works with the greater vision I mm-hmm. have for my life in this moment? Knowing that I might revisit that at some point in time, right? Because yeah. that could also change as time goes on and it has for me. So do you have a similar process or experience of yeah, that? Yeah, I do. And it's interesting. I'm a big student of John Wan and David Data. He, he shared three stages of truth and I usually go check off those three things. Number one is, truth of of our body or physical truth our our physical integrity so does my body feel good when i'm making these decisions so for example if i'm about to do something i can feel it in my body when it's like man this is getting me anxious this doesn't feel right it feels like i'm doing this for someone else or etc but also by physical integrity and truth he means and i've adopted as like am i present fully present with the thing that I am committing to. Am I, am I, is my gaze, is my posture, is my breath, is everything that I'm doing with my body in alignment with that truth. Mm -hmm. Then the second is truth of the heart. 
And I think, you know, you and I have done a lot of work around this. What is my heart's truth? Is there emotion there? Is there grief? Is there joy that I want to feel that I'm not allowing myself to feel? So, for example, with work, we spoke about this briefly before we started recording that joy and success for me, I had this belief that they could not coexist from truths, you know, lower teachers that I gained from someone else, that they couldn't coexist. And my heart's truth now, it's like, I actually want to experience experiencing or feeling a certain emotion that I'm not allowing it to feel. Am I, am I in integrity with my heart's truth? So am I feeling this desire for joy that I'm not giving my heart? For example, committing to work that isn't in alignment with what my heart feels and what it's craving. I can sometimes feel that. It's like this desire. It's like I want to have more joy in the work that I do or I want to experience grief in order to be fully present with this next evolution of my life. So being the integrity of my heart's truth. And then last but not least, my soul's truth. Mm. So this is where I had a major breakthrough a couple of years ago. It was like, where have I been a man of my word? So when you, you mentioned like three years from now, in the present moment, I might feel differently about that truth that I felt three years before. Where in my life have I kept my word to a certain truth that maybe aligned for me at a certain point? Maybe didn't. I just felt like it was the right thing to do. But my soul was completely out of integrity. Like, and by soul, I mean my higher calling. Like I'm here to serve men in this way. This is what's calling my soul, what lights me up, what I want to be doing. And yet I'm still committing to a truth that no longer aligns with that. So I usually go through those three and that helps me kind of go deeper and deeper to like, feel like, you know, I might have to make some hard decisions to shift all those in alignment, but I prioritize those before prioritizing being a man of my word. Because sometimes I've kept being a man of my word and with things that were no longer in my truth. And that's usually what has kept me the furthest from the present truth, the way you describe it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that John broke it down that way. I've never, I never heard that particular part of his teachings. And it, I mean, it, it's a, it's a great model. I think it also resonates with what I check in with myself, what I've learned to check in with myself. And probably the biggest piece of that is, is intuition. I don't know which of those three would you say intuition fits under the most? Soul. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. what I felt. Yeah. And, and that's something that is, is developed. Yeah. I think we have that as kids, right? There's like a, and I, you see it in animals too. There's like a, a sixth sense that you can tell when something ain't right here. I feel like the creepy qualities. Yeah. I've got something happening in my guts that doesn't feel good. To me, that's actually my gut. That's actually intuition for me. But mm -hmm. I didn't, I spent most of my life turning that dial down because I learned to operate from my brain's truth, what, what everything else was around me was informing mm -hmm. me of. And the harder thing for me was to learn how to tap into my intuition and my guts. And I, and I think that that's also a pretty pervasive problem in the men's community because we become very intellectual. We become very mental and logical about things. And so when, when our gut tells us like our brain is saying, well, I don't see any problems here. And the gut is like screaming, saying, this ain't right. This isn't what I want. This doesn't fit into the big picture. Taking a risk and honoring that sometimes, even when it doesn't make sense. The, the biggest one for me was when I was 25 years old. I had a great job. I was you know, fresh out of college, two years, been, you know, making a lot of good money, single apartment, amazing community. I was within 30 minutes of all my family and everybody who loved me the most. And my gut was screaming at me to get out of here and go far away. 
It was the, the most illogical experience I've had in my life, at least up to that point. And it was, it was terrifying because I didn't know where that was coming from. There was no logic behind it. I had just spent almost six years in school to get to a point where I could work and take care of myself. And now I was saying, okay, well, now I want to leave my job and I want to just go explore. But that was the first time that I really honored that voice in my gut. And I had to take that risk to find out. And lo and behold, it led me to everything that matters to me in my life now. It also could have gone the other way, but, and I've had moments where that's happened too, where I, I was listening to my, to my guts and it, and it led to a different outcome. But either way, tuning into that sense is so important. And I, and I wonder if there's, if there's a similar experience you've had around that or how you learned to calibrate. There it. is. And thank you for sharing that story because it, it definitely aligns and feels very, it resonates deeply. And what just popped up as you described that is that sometimes I think we confuse our intuition or we confuse our fear for intuition as well. And I think that's why the way John broke it down and, and I've adopted is makes so much sense because if we don't work through our bodies like and really create presence and, and allow ourselves to not be distracted and sit in stillness, we can't really see what's underneath that in our hearts. So maybe we're distracting ourselves by being busy. I know that was me when I was in corporate. So there was a moment that I was actually sitting in stillness. Stillness for me was like other distractions that weren't productive. Right. And then once I actually sat in stillness, I felt, oh shit, there's grief there. My parents just divorced and it happened four months after I moved out the house. I feel responsible. That started to come up. And until I processed that, I wasn't really able to go into soul's truth where I was able to feel my intuition. It was almost like the emotions and then distractions, those layers were covering up intuition and the whispers I could not hear. So whenever I felt like, oh man, I shouldn't grab this job or I shouldn't do this, it wasn't really intuition. I, I look back at it now, it's like, oh shit, it was fear. Like this might happen, this might happen, which really is all in the mind anyway. But then we feel it in the body as well. Like for me, fear, I feel it between my heart and my throat, like this fucking knot, just like almost weight, weighting me down. But until I moved some of that, I wasn't able to really touch my intuition. And now I'm in this place where I still feel the fear to feel all those things. But I think a lot of tools, and especially in the past three years, like have allowed me to one, regulate my body, two, move emotion or feel the emotion in my heart is craving or wants to feel. And then three, make the whispers just a little bit louder or at least make everything else a little bit quieter so that I can honestly say like, fuck, I am scared of making this decision, but revamping my program or revamping the way modern Renaissance man is going to look like is necessary for just what feels in alignment. Otherwise, I think we won't, I won't go into this, but I think you would agree. This is what leads a lot of men to midlife crises because I think they go by the intellectual truth or like what looks real for them for so long. And then they reach this point in their life where they're like, maybe something cracks and it's like, oh shit, I thought this was going to be true forever after. And then you just start questioning everything and they're like, fuck it. I'm going to go in the other direction that I didn't think I should go. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really great, man, because uh, th that we're having this conversation. I just had a moment where I just zoomed out for a second and remembered that moment in my life when my gut was screaming at me to get out of New York. It was a time where I was looking for 
modern renaissance man or the rising man or i was looking for some guidance some organization some structure around discovering what it meant to be a man and i couldn't find it at 25 years old i looked i didn't see it anywhere and everybody i was surrounded by every every man or a guy who was practicing manhood it didn't look good to me it did, it didn't it didn't vibe and that was really the one of the main motivators for me getting out of New York was to go and find something that actually resonated with me. So I'm grateful I found a listen to my gut in that moment. And looking back at where we are now, you've been building a men's organization out on the East Coast. You and and Voy and the rest of the Modern Renaissance Man leadership team, like you guys have been really putting roots in the ground. So I'd love for you to just say a little bit about what what inspired that for you guys and what has helped carry that forward? Because uh, I just love seeing so many young guys who were, who are where I was, who now have that. Mm-hmm. Well, going back to intuition, and actually, I, I know when we first, the first time we spoke, Modern Renaissance Band was still, was already kind of formulating and doing its thing, but it was far from where we've reached and the vision that, that we had. And it's interesting because I look back now and I, I remember this feeling after going to other men's groups and like working with mentors and starting to do the men's work, there was this feeling of like, there's something that needs to be created in a way that feels good to me, that feels good to, to me, because there's other men out there that would feel that intuitive feeling and want to lean into it as well. But it just didn't exist yet in the way that I imagined it. And, and then when, you know, meeting Boy, not going deep into that, but he had a similar vision where like our visions just aligned so beautifully. And we decided like, yeah, this is something that needs to be created. So when you ask me that question, I'm just reflecting on, is this something that I felt like I had to do? because it made the most sense or something that I just felt in my like heart that needed to be created. And it came from the heart, man. It was something that just felt like, obviously I was very naive and thinking it was going to be easy. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> it's not easy, but it's been a commitment, man. And uh, it's interesting that we started the combo about what's true before, what's true in the present moment, what's true in the future is that MRM has evolved so much, like at its core, it's still the same vision, mm-hmm. but the tangible mind, like ideas of what it needed to look like have evolved because times have changed. Like big example without going deep into it is COVID, right? Quarantine happened, mm-hmm. all of our in-person events from last year, halt, and then the focus was the community, the online community. So that was like, my vision, my mind wasn't thinking about that being a scenario through two years after Honor Renaissance Man started. But what was always in alignment was this intention to create an organization for modern men that wanted to integrate this into their lives as if it was like going to the gym, right? As if it was going to the barbershop, something that was just part of life. So whether the truth shifted to doing it online or doing it in person is like, it's still in alignment with what was originally the truth of what we were creating. So that's, that's been my biggest revelation in that is just like things are going to be thrown at me from every direction that don't align with the mental ideas that I thought this thing was going to look like. Mm-hmm. I need to actually revert 
outside of that revert back to like the reason why I created it. And that always leads me in the right direction. Yeah, that's that's such a good reminder of the flexibility of vision. You know, I, I remember going back. It's funny. I keep going back to that 25 year old time. I guess that's what's wanted today. When I was I was desperately looking for vision. I was I was wanting to connect to my higher purpose so much. And what I really wanted was I wanted something I could direct my energy and attention to and tune everything else out. That was my understanding of vision and purpose at that point in time. I will lock in this one thing and then I will just chisel it into concrete, you know, mount it above my my door and do that thing every day for the rest of my life. And, you know, obviously one of the big learnings from that was that it, it evolves, just like you said. If I had been so rigid and stuck to the idea of what Rising Man was supposed to be when I started, it would never become what it's become now. And even in this moment, if I stay rigid on what I think it looks like now, I will, I'll miss out on all the other possibilities that could lead it to exactly what's needed, what's most mm. necessary. There's a book called Dune. You ever read Dune? I haven't, man. I heard about it. I've actually never read it myself. I'll be honest. But a lot of people, in my, a lot of the men in my community love Dune. It's like this sci-fi book. And anyway, one of the, one of the guys in that book, his name is Stilgar. And a friend of mine, he's like, because we talk about leadership all the time. He said in that book, Stilgar says that the, the purpose of a leader is revealed by the needs of the people. Mm. And that always stuck with me because if I'm, if I'm stuck and fixated on this idea of what I think my vision is and what it needs to be, and then I stop listening to what people need because the needs of the people are constantly shifting according to what the environment is informing, what the times are informing, what the mm. people are informing. So yeah, man, that, that's, that's just what I was reminded of when I heard you say that it's had to change over time because... Yeah. That's the nature of it. And we got to be fluid and we got to listen and stay tuned in. Dude, I love, I love that you said that be mine about uh, revealed by the people's needs because I think that's another shift for me in the past three years has been Michael Beckwith has another, like sometimes frameworks help me understand like where I'm, I'm, I'm at with my truth as well. So he says to me, from me, through me, and as me, I like levels mm-hmm. of consciousness. And it also makes me think of, you know, being dependent independent and interdependent right so when you said that line it makes me think of like where was i three years ago i was still working on trying to become as independent as possible like um, i had a mission i was transitioning to that through me and and into that interdependence of what is it that i can bring men because this has been of service to me i want to share with others but there was still this desire of like creating a men's organization to become independent and like be able to create my own vision and uh, abundance from it, et cetera. And now really was being revealed with how much MRM has evolved. And this is my mission from the place it was incepted. I'm sure at 25, you thinking back at that, you resonate with this. But it was this huge vision. You felt like you found purpose. You were in alignment. You started working on it. And it's evolved so much since then, like you just described. So I think about how it's evolved for me and looking at the, that framework of like i was tired of being dependent on corporate dependent on my parents depending on so many things i think through my throughout our 20s even teenage years we try to become independent different ways and then now there's this interdependence of like well what is it that people that would like mrm what is it that me at a younger age or earlier stage didn't have this vision needs right now not like what I want to create in order to still feel independent, but like from this interdependent approach of this is 
some there's something working through me for the sake of something outside of me. Yeah, yeah. I think that's another one I think of is a lot of my teachers, especially in the Native American traditional ways, talk about being the instrument, the hollow bone through which, or, or it, for some people who don't understand that reference, being the flute, you know, to be the instrument through which the wind passes and makes music and not to be fixated on. And it's a, it's usually more of a reflection about ego and wanting to be the source and, and, and the music itself versus the instrument through which the wind passes to make the music. But regardless of that, what I think about is the difference between independence and this idea that I need to be self-reliant, self-sustaining, self-sufficient, and then being on an island. I think think that a lot of people translate your need to be independent and self-sufficient into I need to do everything by myself, Mm -hmm. which is not the case. I do think that there's value in being able to take care of my Mm -hmm. needs, pay my bills, know what my boundaries are, know what I need to do to feel right so that I can be more present for a relationship, for a family, for a community. But it doesn't mean that we need to exist in a vacuum. You know, because I don't think anybody can really do that successfully. It's probably, I mean, it's probably one of the, become one of the champion slogans for every men's organization is <laughs> don't do it alone, right? Learn yeah. how to ask for help. But what is real? what does that really mean? Because we're not saying become dependent and codependent yeah. on your men's organization, but find a way to leverage the support of people around you so that you can better take care of yourself and take care of others. Interdependence, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, so many of today's problems are, because the context of in, independence, like mm-hmm. the independence from the ego, right? Like, uh, this is for me, I'm going to take, and everyone else is just like on their own. They got to figure it out on their own. But really, like, the context that I hear, you know, uh, the rite of passage that you guided me through, like, four days out there was most of the journey was me being on my own, right? Mm-hmm. But there was, there was men there to receive me. And then also the context of that adds for me, it's what, to, how does being independent bring interdependence, like bring something back to my community, right? So it's like not just doing my shit for the sake of being on that island and I can have my own island, buy the best island, do whatever on my island, everybody else can drown, but rather can I survive on this island and stretch myself and become so independent that when I come back to society, I can bring back something that without me, they might you know, not survive and vice versa. There might be someone else that goes and is independent and decides to go in a different route because they found their soul's purpose and their soul's truth. And I become interdependent with them, not codependent because I can still figure it out on my own if they're pulled away, but interdependent where we know that we bring different things and because i've been able to do it on my own i can now bring that back in a way that doesn't take away from society back so it's back that's so cool man i'm just thinking about like uh let's see 10 days from now i'm about to get on an airplane fly out to the east coast and we're going to take a crew of guys who's come through you and through voy and essentially through modern renaissance man out for a four-day rite of passage mm-hmm. and just just reflecting on how cool that is man just thinking of the your trajectory just looking for zeroing in on you as a man has made that possible that, that there's six men out there who are going to come out with us and cross that threshold and it made me think of something i always say to the fasters to the guys who were going out there for the first time that there's a difference between being alone and being isolated. There's a, there's a huge difference between being alone and being isolated. And it's, it's essentially what you were just saying, you know, the ability to be alone, meaning not dependent on the company of other people, but 
not being isolated. You know, isolation is is a very deliberate tactic to enclose myself and, and, and sequester myself from society, from contact, from vulnerability. Being alone is, is a necessary requirement of life. Mm-hmm. No matter how entrenched you are in your community, in your brotherhood, you're going to be out there by yourself sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, that's at the heart of what we do. When we do solo wilderness fasting, it's like sometimes you're going to be out in the middle of nowhere with nothing but a sleeping bag and no distractions, no, no way to, to lean on someone or something else have deep faith in yourself, but also leave the doorway open to come back to community and not put up these high reinforced walls around yourself to keep people out. I mean, that, that makes you think of, uh, you know, there's a difference between being alone and being lonely. Right? Mm-hmm. Not to get too deep into that, but I think so that's a big conversation for, for men to have. This is how can you be alone without feeling lonely, right? Knowing that you have a community and someone that, people that care about you and also being able to sit with the things that come up without necessarily like feeling like you need to codepend on others to feel good, right. Or to distract yourself from those. And I don't know about you, but for me, like I learned this from Bam. So Brendan, he says introvert by nature, extrovert by practice. And for me, like I I refuel by being on my own Mm. and a lot, in a lot of ways, I am of greater service by giving myself that time on my own. That's just what I know I need and it's important to myself in order to like be fully energized and ready to serve my community. And when I don't, I start to feel it. Like I start to feel like my, my soul's truth is not being honored. Then that goes into my heart's truth where I start feeling like the sense of like sadness or grief or desire for joy that's not being tended to. And then it shows up in my body and I end up like overworking or burning myself out because I haven't poured into myself. So mm. just offering that in there, because I know there's men that are probably listening that feel like, oh, do I have to always be surrounded by other men in order to and like, no, like, I think it's important, like you said, to be alone, to honor what is true for you at any given moment, but also lean a little bit past your edge. Because I know for myself, oftentimes as well, that turns into the shadow where I feel like I don't need anybody or the discomfort of leaning into community and asking for help is me wanting to be alone. So then I always like move away from that, that edge of growth, right? Asking for help can actually become, help me get closer to my heart. So just want to make this distinguishing message there. Well, I think that's good. It, it actually, I think it's a little bit of a leverage point into the, the last question I wanted to make sure that we excavate here with the time we got left. And that's around this dialogue you and I had recently around how, how many different people out there are starting brand new men's organizations. And at least my personal beliefs on this are that not everybody who's inspired by men's work needs to create a brand new organization. Not everybody who's inspired by what they've received by being a part of a men's community needs to go out and start their own. Of course, that's not to, you know, throw water on the fires of men who are really inspired. But I know that you and I really had an interesting dialogue around that. I wanted to just reopen that so we could have this publicly with other people out there. You know, what comes up for me is uh, attachment to identity. There's been so many times where like through finding my purpose of being inspired by something, even like being a visionary. Like I know people refer to you and I both as that. That's something we resonate with. Like sometimes I get so attached to my vision that I don't allow for something greater, a vision that I can't see that's maybe flying above the hawk. It's the, it's the golden eagle, right? I'm not allowing that to come into life because I'm so fixed on it. And when I think of men starting their own organization, it's like 
what if it's, that looks like the thing that you have to do because yes you're impacting men or you have this i call it a beautiful burden of like sharing the gift or the medicine that you received and wanted to share it with the men but what if it's making doing a disservice to the way that you're actually going to make a greater impact like there's so many you know the other day one of my other teachers said that it's if like the greatest teachers of all time are reincarnated into today's day and age, they would be storytellers. They'd be either songwriters, uh, movie like producers, directors, or film writers, or um, like authors. And when I asked him why, he said, because that's the best way to make an impact is to tell stories that, and I was just thinking like, we tell stories in so many other ways and inspire people in so many other ways that go way beyond men's groups men's groups is probably like you know the pit and the place where guys can come and like do that deep work there's so many other things that have inspired me and nudged me by giving me a little bit more perspective and have changed my life that goes beyond a men's organization so for me what comes to mind is just again heart's truth is creating a men's organization something that really feels in alignment with what's meant for you to do and if it is, it doesn't have to be the only thing. So it doesn't have to be the million man organization. It could be something you create for a small community. And is there something greater that maybe all this medicine you've got from a men's organization, the men's coaches, et cetera, is calling you to kind of deliver that story into? So for me, it's like there's yeah. so many ways to make an impact. It doesn't have to be a men's organization, just because every guy that goes into men's work is inspired to create. Sure. And, and I think the for me, there's a couple of risks that get my concern and I'll just list them off briefly. One of them is that if we create so many different versions of the same thing, then is that creating greater unity or separation? That's one. Maybe people can just kind of meditate and reflect on that for themselves. Another one is I, I also have seen, I've been doing this for like five years, right? So like seeing, I've seen a lot of people, especially this big wave of people come through. I do see some people who are putting stuff out there and they're either just repurposing the information that somebody else taught them recently, or they're taking stuff and, and making things up on their own without actually having, in my opinion, enough experience and background and, and practice in that to, to root it. So there's the risk of creating something that doesn't isn't actually capable of holding what another man might need. And then obviously that has a whole cascade of risks. So I don't, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that because I've been doing this for so long that I'm sitting here with my ju- my gavel and I'm, I have the authority to say who does and does not have the permission to start an organization. I simply just wanted to put my foot down and invite everybody to take an honest look at yourself because I think there's a difference between, you know, our bro Phil, he, he threw this one out there at me one time. He said, you know, there's a difference between being of service and do, doing something to be of service and doing something to be seen. And that's the significance, the, the significance factor that do, am I doing this so that I will get the recognition and acknowledgement I want for creating something new and being identified as a founder or a creator or something. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, the checkpoint is, I know that my commitment to creating Rising Man and following through on it is to at some point give it away. I want Rising Man to have an identity separate from me. I know mm-hmm. that in the beginning, part of it, it's had to be associated with me and that kind of happened naturally. And you've, you've helped me over the past couple of years, try to like d- make this distinction between what is Rising uh-huh. Man and what is Jedi uh-huh. Azuma. But I know in my heart, my heart of hearts, my truth, my, my lowercase T truth is that I have no desire to be the guy. That's not what motivates or drives me. I'll play my role as long as I need to, but really this is for the people. This is mm-hmm. for the community. And so I think that's, I think that's something that everybody who, who's in that position or asking themselves that question 
gets to check in with and be really honest about it with yourself because at some point I think it can do more harm than good. Yeah. Beautiful. And what I hear in that is there's layers to it. You know, like you said, mm-hmm. the creating the organization was your truth. Having to be the face of it was a truth that has evolved, right? And there's also the the part of like men men identifying that on their own by making those mistakes and allowing them to be revealed. But I, what I hear and what you're saying is falling forward of identifying what's true and what's in service versus what is for the sake of being seen and not being so attached to that that you're, we're unwilling to release this thought of how it needed to look like. For some, maybe it was this, and I know for, for MRM, like for us, it was like this huge number of how many men we want to impact. And then we realized, oh, well, that evolved and we're actually creating something much different that impacts a specific type of man that is in a specific type of journey. And owning that is a greater service because that trickles down to those men's lives, et cetera. So identifying those layers and being willing to let go of desire to be seen for the sake of service is really what I hear you calling forward, right? Even if that means letting go of yeah. the identity of I had to create a men's group, maybe create one. And then two years later, you realize, oh shit, actually it's time to let this go so I can bring something else to life that I can actually commit to upholding and keeping an integrity with what is going to be a greater service. So. Heck yeah, man. I love that. Well, time flies. We're, we're just about at time. I've only got one more question for you. Um, right. you know, last time you were on here, I asked you, what did you learn when you were 18? I want to ask you, what have you, what is the greatest lesson you've learned in the last two years that you would want to share or impart upon another man who might be listening today? You know, the, your truth will set you free. We'll, we'll say that. Leave it at that. Let everybody uh, chew on it. Put the, the, the cherry on top of our conversation. Like what I've learned the past two years is my truth will set me free. Mm, I love that one, man. Yeah, I remember when I first heard you say that. That's that's, that's such a such a golden nugget right there. All right, bro. Well, then it's been an honor to have you on here again. I appreciate the conversation, the dialogue, the wisdom. Will you just tell everybody where they can go to follow you and and learn more about modern Renaissance man, and also learn more about intentional impact and the other things that you're creating in the world. Yeah, so uh, Modern Renaissance Man, um, themrmofficial.com. We're about to launch a new website. Follow me on Instagram, rjose underscore Alejandro. Most of the stuff that I do and I'm involved in is in there. And if there's any uh, men that lead that are interested in amplifying their impacts while embodying their truth, intentional impact, like you mentioned, is something that I pour those lessons and just that, that experience through that journey into. And yeah, besides that, my Instagram is the best place to, to find out anything that is true for me in that present moment and can be of greatest service to whoever's watching. Beautiful, bro. Well, thank you, man. It's, it's always great to have conversations with you. And I'm glad we got to catch one of ours for everybody else to benefit from this time around. And yeah, man, I'll be seeing you in just a short amount of time here to go spend yes. some time in the middle of nowhere. Looking forward let's to do it, it, man. Let's, let's give these guys a, a hell of a time. <laughs> and, uh, haven't come back uh, as initiated man so i'm excited to see you next week thank you for having me brother it's always an honor to drop in with you but this podcast is just so much fun so maybe in two years three years we can do another one see where we're at heck yeah man i look forward to it all right, bro. All right much love homie 
All right, y'all, make sure you cruise over to risingman.org to check out the show notes and resources for this episode and all the other amazing programs and opportunities we have for you to become a bigger part of the Rising Man movement today. That's risingman.org. Please subscribe to us wherever you listen to the podcast and go over and give us a subscribe at the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man movement. Also hit us up on Instagram at Rising Man movement if you don't follow us already. Big ups to the power team, leadership team, and everybody out there in the Rising Man community supporting us and what we're up to here, initiating an entire generation of men into purpose and powerful leadership Mm. yes we're doing it until next time rise up and claim your destiny